0: Amen. You may be seated, and as you are, I invite you to turn with me in your copy of the scripture to the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, this morning. Hebrews chapter number 10. Two years ago, our world was rocked by global pandemic. The Wuhan, or China virus coronavirus or covid-19 caused great suffering and death around the world and governments flawed as they are did what they thought best to stop the spread with mandatory masking and social distancing and quarantining etc it was it was a difficult time to say the least And even by my mentioning of that time, it creates strong reactions in our hearts and our minds right now because the consequences of those things affect us even yet today. In fact, we could spend the rest of the day lamenting the physical, social, financial, relational, and political devastation that has followed But for our purposes this morning, I want to address a church matter. A church matter that we were confronted with at the time and that remains a consequence to this day. Namely, that church matter is the matter of gathering together as a church. And you remember that for weeks, our Sunday services were suspended to comply with government mandates. And then our church was fragmented to accommodate social distancing. We held multiple services on on Sunday mornings and would dismiss in a staggered way to maintain social distancing and push everyone outside to the fresh air. Do you remember those days? And I'm partly humored by the memory of those days and I'm partly horrified by the memory of those days because politically and medically and socially and, and culturally, It wasn't normal. But what about ecclesiastically? Ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church. The Greek word ecclesia or ecclesia means a called out assembly or congregation. It's translated church in our Bibles and it describes both the positional and the practical gathering of those who are in Christ. That was an important designation and description that we studied last week from Ephesians 1. You see, the church are those in Christ who are gathered together. And this morning, if I were to write a modern epistle to the saints in Plymouth, I would address the church gathered together. This morning from Hebrews chapter 10, the last few verses of our scripture reading, verses 23, 24, 25, I'd like to present a a message, a a study titled, The Church, Gathered Together. Let's pause for prayer. Lord, we thank you for the occasion that has brought us together. We are your church, and this is your day. And God, we have gathered in assembly as a congregation to worship as we've done until you return, to edify one another to be instructed by your spirit from your word. And God, as we think about this church matter And as we reflect on the occasion not too long ago when we were unable to meet as normal. Lord, may you give us just a great appreciation and affection for the church gathered. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, in a a topical way, I'd like to make the case for the necessity of the church to gather together and as I do this I recognize that I am preaching to the choir this morning for you are here and we are gathered together this morning however the George Barna research group reported this 32 percent of practicing Christians whatever that means 32 percent of practicing Christians stopped attending church during the global pandemic Okay, that's understandable. There was just cause for carefulness at that time. And we were careful, maybe over careful, maybe not careful enough. But we understand the circumstances at that time. However, the Pew Research Group reports as recently as March 22nd of 2022, that's this past spring, just a a few months ago, they report this, that 21% Of American Christians have not returned to in person church attendance. And folks, that's a problem. Now, some Christians have always maintained that they can worship God on their own, they can follow Jesus on their own, they can read their Bible and pray alone without the necessary gathering of other believers. But now the matter is worse because it has become more convenient. As Hebrews 10:25 puts it, to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So, let me push back on the idea that Christians can function apart from the corporate gathering. As a church. And I'll begin before the church began in Acts chapter 2 by referencing the people of God in the Old Testament. And not to confuse Old Testament Israel with the New Testament church, I simply want to identify a precedent for the people of God. And it's this number one, the precedent of Old Testament saints. From the beginning, God's people gathered together for corporate worship of God. In, in fact, in the Old Testament, you will read the language of the, the congregation and the assembly used frequently to describe Israel's gathering to worship Yahweh. They met in the tabernacle at Shiloh, then they met in the temple in Jerusalem, and and their holy days or their holidays were, were important gatherings in their worship of God and the practice of their Judaism. In Psalm 42, when the psalmist was distressed, this is what he said. He said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. Well, good enough. Then why don't you on your own by yourself pray and worship and and seek God? He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Well, just do it then, on your own, in the deer stand, out on the lake, at home. What's the problem? He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept pilgrim feasts. And for that reason, David declared in Psalm 122 I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. And there's a precedent among Old Testament Israel, the people of God, in gathering corporately together for worship. Later, when Judah was taken captive by the Babylonians, they lamented in Psalm 137. I don't have it for you there on the screen, but you're familiar with Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept, when we remembered Zion. What's Zion? Zion is the city of Jerusalem. Why in exile, in captivity, did you weep over the city of Jerusalem? Psalm 137 says, they hung up their harps and they could not sing, saying, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? What was the problem? What was so special about the city of Jerusalem? Well, it was the place where God had chosen to put his name. It was their homeland and they are now exiled in captivity. But it was also the place where the people of God gathered together for worship, And they were no longer able to do that and they grieved that. And so the precedent of Old Testament saints was to gather it together. Let's move forward in our thinking number two to the pattern of Jesus Christ. The pattern, the precedent of Old Testament saints, the pattern of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter four, the Bible says that after Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Luke four, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up his hometown, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, synagogues emerged during the Babylonian captivity as a gathering place for the Jews when there was no temple in Jerusalem. And by Jesus' day, the synagogues were were common. In fact, the New Testament mentions synagogues more than sixty times, and it was the meeting place for God's people, the, the the Jews at at that point. and And Paul and the other apostles they went first into the synagogues in every city to preach Jesus as the Messiah, because that's where the people were gathered together to read the Holy Scripture and to worship God. If you ever take a holy land tour to to Israel, you can visit the synagogue in the city on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee in the city of Capernaum, the small town that, that really was Jesus' home base during his adult public ministry. And there, the synagogue in Capernaum is is still standing partially. And it was Jesus' custom in Nazareth, his boyhood home, and in Capernaum, his pattern of life, his habit, his custom to gather with God's people. So we have the precedent of Old Testament saints. We have the pattern of, of Jesus Christ himself. Let's move forward again in our thinking beyond the cross, beyond the empty tomb, beyond Acts chapter two where the Holy Spirit was given and the church is then born, the precedent of Old Testament Israel, the pattern of our Lord Jesus became, number three, the practice of New Testament Christians. The practice of New Testament Christians and I've given you there Acts, the book of Acts, but we could really look at all of the epistles as well in the New Testament. Initially, the Bible tells us that New Testament Christians met daily, In Acts chapter 2, they continued together daily. In Acts 17, the Bereans met to search the scriptures daily. Ultimately, New Testament Christians, the practice of of the early church was to meet on the first day of the week. On Sunday, it became known as the Lord's Day. I might quibble with churches gathering together on Saturday evening, instead of on Sunday morning, because there is a reason why we gather on Sunday morning. Now, you can, you can gather on Saturday night or Friday night or Wednesday night, um, but Sunday was a special day, the Lord's Day, and that was the practice of New Testament Christians. There was a, a man named Justin. Justin was a, a Christian l- writer. He was a philosopher who lived about 100 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And justice, I'm sorry, Justin was beheaded for his faith, and he he's now consequently known as Justin Martyr. And Justin Martyr wrote of the believers in the second century, and I've copied it for you there in the back of your notes. I'll put it before you there on the screen. This is what Justin the Martyr wrote. He said, "On the day called Sunday." There is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district. The memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Then when the reader ceases, the president in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. Next we all rise together and send up prayers. When we cease from our prayer, bread is presented and wine and water The president, and and the word president, it really just means the one presiding over the meeting. Uh, We we might understand this to be the overseer. Ultimately, the the office of elder and and pastor, bishop are the ones that that are leading the church. When we cease from our prayer, bread is presented, wine and water. The president, the one presiding over the the meeting in the same manner, sends up prayers and thanksgivings according to his ability. (laughs) And the people sing out their assent, saying the amen. Justin Martyr continues, those who have means, and are willing, each according to his own choice, give what he wills. And what is collected is deposited with the president. He provides for the orphans and widows and those who are in need on account of sickness or some other cause. Those who are in bonds, strangers who are sojourning and in a word he becomes the protector of all who are in need. Here here we go. This is Justin Martyr about 150 A.D., 100 years after the time of of Christ, we all make our assembly in common on Sunday since it is the first day on which God changed the darkness and matter and made the world and Jesus Christ our Savior rose from the dead on the same day. Folks, when we gather together on Sunday morning in this place, as a fellowship, an assembly of believers, as a church congregation, we we are not doing an American thing. We are not even doing a religious thing. We are doing a Christian thing. And for 2,000 years, the followers of Jesus Christ, the practice of New Testament Christians has been to gather together. It's good and right for us to do what we're doing here this morning. Now, No one objects to what has been said yet. We we get it, we're in agreement and you are here. Okay, but we do ask, does historic precedent, Old Testament Israel, does historic pattern, Jesus in the synagogue, does historic practice, the early church the new testament christians demand necessarily demand something of us now because just because a thing was done in the past doesn't demand it for the present or the future after all there is a difference between between description and prescription you see and what i have given you to this point is simply description this is what has been Historically happening, describing it. But many things are described as happening in the Bible or as happening in history that are not necessarily prescribed or required for us to do the same. Does the Bible require the gathering of the church? And that's going to be number four the prescription of the Scripture. The prescription of the scripture, and w- what does the Bible prescribe? Of course, is is the question here. And at long last, we've come to our text, Hebrews chapter number ten. You have it before you. It was read a moment ago. Let me just pick up in verse twenty three. Hebrews ten, verse twenty three. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Stop there. This week in your summer home Bible fellowship meetings on Wednesday evening as you gather in, in small groups, spend some time in verse 23. and In fact, even look back to verses 19 to 22 uh, about that, that hope we have, that heart of full assurance, verse 22. We are to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why do we do this? Because we're intellectually convinced because God who promised is Faithful. The character of God is why we can hold fast our confession without wavering. But, but verse 23 now, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is during global pandemic and beyond, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, We're familiar with these verses. But what I want you to note here is the value of this text is is that it doesn't answer the what question as much as it answers the why question. Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 doesn't simply say go to church. It tells us why we must gather as an assembly. Verse 24, let us consider one another. That one another there, it's the Greek word alelone. It's easy to remember because it sounds like all alone. Alelone, all alone. But that's exactly what it does not mean. It does not mean all alone. It means all together for one another, it's used a hundred times in the New Testament. It's only used one time in the Book of Hebrews, and that's that's this occasion right here. And most of the uses of ale are descriptive; that is, they simply describe an event in which people got together and interacted with one another. However, some of those uses are prescriptive, and in this case, the author is using ale prescriptively, giving directive uh, for our to not be all alone, but to gather together. Consider one another, verse 24. Commit to meeting with one another, verse 25, for the mutual benefit of one another. For folks, our Christian faith and the practice of our Christianity is not to be lived out as individuals in isolation, but rather in community as believers. But there will be excuses, that, and this is what people will say. People will say, well, well, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Ever heard that? You know what I say to that? Well, then you'll fit right in, right? That's an excuse. Others will say, the music doesn't satisfy my taste. You know what I say to that? Well, you have bad taste. Others might use the ex- excuse, the preaching is boring. Do you know what I say to that? Hmm? What do I say to that? Well, at least it's only 30 minutes long, right? Right? <laughs> You go up the road, you go down the road, I'm telling you, you get a deal here. Only 30 minutes at Fourth Baptist is the preaching, no matter how boring it is. Others will say, but I can worship God at home. Okay, think about this. I would contend that your home is the least worshipful place in all the world, probably, right? If you have kids or a dog, right? I can worship on my own at home home. Others, oh, I have to work, okay? Why don't you work Monday through Saturday? How about this one? I don't get anything out of church. I'm not getting fed. I've had people tell me that. Pastor Matt, don't take it personally, but we're leaving Fourth Baptist because we're not getting fed here. It's been reported to me that a longtime pastor here at Fourth Baptist, Dr. R.V. Clearwaters, evidently used to say sick sheep Don't eat. That's my answer to that. (laughs) Forgive the attitude if you, um, (laughs) all right, all right. Um, Folks, with these types of excuses, some have made a habit, I think is how the ESV reads there, the habit of forsaking the assembly of believers, the meeting of the church. Now, I understand that there are those who are physically unable to attend. And I understand there are sick. And there are elderly who cannot get out. And there are some who are away in college or deployed in the military. And there are legitimate and lo- logistical circumstances that, that really prevent one from attendance on, on any given Sunday. And, and for that reason, we broadcast our service on the radio. And we provide a live stream of our services uh, on, on the internet because we recognize the realities for some and we're so glad for the provision of those technologies. But it is not the same. And I would say to those that are listening on WCTS radio this very moment or watching the live stream, if you are able to be here be here. You need to be here and we want you to be here. For the vast majority of us, we cannot use these excuses and we cannot neglect the gathering of the church with shallow excuses because we are commanded and compelled to assemble. But, but once again here, what, what I want to highlight is that the greater question is not the what, it's the why. Why must we gather together as a church. It's not to hear good music or to hear a good sermon. You can do that on the radio. You can do that online. The purpose is for the benefit of one another, verses 24 and 25. Warren Wiersbe has said this. Note that the emphasis here is not on what a believer gets from the assembly. Remember the excuse, I don't get anything out of it. But rather on what he can contribute to the assembly. And the writer of Hebrews is, is not saying that you need to come to church for you. Although that's how I often counsel. Pastorally, I'm counseling. I'm saying, you need to be here for you, for your soul. But rather, you need to come to church for the church. The church needs you. And the point of our gathering this morning or any other time is to benefit all alone. Not all alone, but one another there in verse 24. And we do this in in two ways. First, we stir up love and good works and you see it there verse 24 let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works this Wednesday evening in your small groups in your home bible fellowship you need to discuss and explore this how do we stir up or stimulate i think is how the new american standard reads one another in these things is is this love for god do we stir up or stimulate love for god among one another or love for one another among one another or love for the lost What are the good works that we are to stir up or stimulate? Is it service within the church assembly? Is it service or good works outside of the church toward the community? What does this look like and how do we do it practically toward one another? This is the why. The why is we we stir up love and good works. There's a second there and that's in verse 25. Exhort one another. In your HBF meetings again this Wednesday evening, you need to discuss the nature of our exhortation Or our encouragement is perhaps how how your Bible reads. Do we exhort or encourage one another regarding love and good works? From verse 24, that seems reasonable. Or regarding those not assembling? Maybe we go to those who are not here and we say, where are you? Where have you been? We get together on Sundays. Be here, we need you, you need us. And we exhort them. And when we gather together for any service, whether it's Sundays or any other class or event or activity, it's not a passive personal experience where we gain, but it's a loud statement to one another. We are saying something to one another for one another, and this is what we're saying. We're saying to one another, I'm here because Jesus Christ is important to me. I'm here because the word of God is important to me. I'm here because worship of God is important to me. I'm here because the people of God matter to me and I'm here to edify you and to speak to you in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and to care for you and pray for you and rejoice with you and weep with you in ways that I cannot when I am not here with you. And perhaps that's some of how we stir up love and good works and we exhort one another. Tease that out a bit uh, this week as, as as you meet together. In my office, I have this picture. This picture was given to me by Tim Kazee and John Hutchinson from Frontline Missions. And you may have seen it, you may have seen it in my office. It's the picture of some 20 or 25 Russian Christians meeting together in the woods, in the winter woods, back in the day of the Soviet Union. And you can see there in the picture the trees are covered with snow and it's a, a cold day. The people are huddled together in their coats and their, their hats. And it appears to me that one of the men is is maybe reading from the Bible. And if you look closely there at the lower center of that the screen there, th- there appears to be a small table that's covered in a cloth or a napkin there, it's, it's clearly the provision for the communion table, the Lord's table, that, that ordinance of the church. And this is a, a picture of persecuted Christians that are making a lot of effort to meet together secretly. I look at this picture and, and I say, but, but why? Why would they risk the illegal assembling of themselves together as, as Christians? Why would they endure the cold weather? What would they benefit by getting together instead of secretly, privately worshiping God in their own way, on their own time, in their own homes? I think that the crisis of persecution, this picture, or the crisis of pandemic, that was our experience a couple years back, or any other crisis of pressure in our lives. We, no, we, we don't have persecution. We no longer have pandemic, but there are pressures. There are pressures in our lives. It leaves us with the need of verse 23. Look again at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Is there ever a time when we need to do Verse 23, if there is ever a time, it's now, folks. Verse 23 is now. We need to hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. In fact, the end of verse 25, if you look there now, the need is increasing so much the more as we see the day approaching. Folks, there are current events, like global pandemic, and war, and political chaos. And the world's responses to them remind us that the day is approaching. And the changes that we are witnessing in our world are are signs of the times, and it may cause our faith to waver, our hope, our full assurance up in verse 22, to shake, so we must hold fast the confession of hope by assembling together, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. I'm not the prophet or a son of a prophet, but on the authority of God's word, I'm telling you, folks, the day is approaching. It's coming quick. It's getting close. So much the more as you see the day approaching, which, which leads me then to to my conclusion. Number five, the picture of the church. Now, the picture of the church is not the picture that I just showed you of persecuted Christians gathering in the winter woodlands. The picture of the church is the picture of the church gathered in the book of Revelation. You don't need to turn there. I'll put it for you here on the screen. After these things I looked. This is John the Revelator, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Folks, most specifically, this picture shows the tribulation saints, but it represents the peoples of God from all history. And if you believe that Jesus is coming again, that is our confession of hope, Hebrews 10, verse 23, then we should gather together so much the more as we see the day approaching. Because this is what will be as we gather with the church universal around the throne in worship. Don't let Satan feed you excuses for neglecting the assembly of the church. Be here for one another because we're gonna spend eternity together around the throne. Let me pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for your church the called-out assembly and the congregation that gathers together in your name. I thank you, Lord, for Fourth Baptist Church. I thank you for the faithful attendance and assembly of your people here. God, we don't know what a day will bring forth other than we see that great day approaching. I pray that you would give us surety of our faith. May we not waver. May we encourage and exhort one another all the more. And God then may we always look to that picture of the church that picture around the throne mindful that it's not just us it's not just fourth baptists but it's believers from around the world we look forward to being part of that picture i pray in jesus name amen